Hey, I'm finally here. Oh, you made it. How's it going, man? My phone was uh, acting like Jamal Murray's knee. Oh, that's pretty awful. <laughs> I had to turn it off and back on. I think I was having a Wi-Fi issue or something. Oh, that sounds like my uh, my scenario. Hopefully, uh, me being upstairs resolves some of those audio issues. Okay. Well, uh, a lot's happened since we we last had the uh, Sugar from the Sky podcast. So. It- Yes, a lot of sugar has fallen from the sky, you might say. <laughs> let's start with the let's start with the Masters, since I'm here in uh, Masters country, and you're from Masters country. Exactly, uh, one of the greatest times of the year. Um, yeah, I wish I could say that I watched all of Thursday and Friday, pretty much just a Saturday and Sunday tournament for me these days. But um, man, Sunday was something else. Um, you knew somebody was going to make a run eventually. Um, I wasn't sure who it was going to be, but after about you know the first eight or nine holes you pretty much knew that Xander was going to make a run the way he finished off that front nine um so I'm glad that somebody did something because besides Xander making that run it was a pretty boring Sunday um Mm. scoring scoring wasn't really there for anyone besides uh John Rahm of course but you know he was what 10 or 11 strokes back prior to the start of the round so right um he would have to shoot something just unbelievable to even be in it and you know 66 was by far the best round of the day I think um but I was happy for Hideki I mean me and you talked about it a little bit um you know Hideki's been there before not just at the Masters but in other majors and for him to finally pull one out uh, I say finally what is he 29 now mm-hmm. yeah it just seems like he's been you know on the tour for you know a decade and a half which you know is pretty crazy but um low amateur back in what was it 2010 2011 uh yeah 2011 10 years before yeah so I mean, it's a cool story i mean and, and you know we joked about it a little bit too about you know can he finish you know a sunday afternoon with you know not the not the prettiest golf swing in the world with the hitch at the top and a uh, backswing that probably not a lot of golfers would uh care to emulate or teach someone um, but I was happy for him. He held it together pr- very well, um, you know, towards the end. I mean, the, the pressure is going to obviously kick in and he had a couple of nervous shots. But I mean, from from beginning to end, I mean, he 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 did what he had to do to finish the deal. So I was happy for him. And um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my feel on it. Well, I think that the uh, the masters that aren't particularly memorable, and I don't, I think the, the I think the winner will be memorable from this one, but maybe not the play itself, are usually the ones that don't adhere to the adage that the tournament doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday, mm-hmm. because it seemed like he won the tournament on the back nine on Saturday and the front nine on Sunday. And yeah. So he, his play was so good that it kind of rendered moot what happened most of the rest of the golf tournament, and that was the same as. Uh, Patrick Reed a few years ago, uh, the year Spieth won, that was kind of the way it was. Uh, Bubba's second one was a pretty dull back nine. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the way you want it if you want to enjoy the walk. And uh, up until he put it in the water on 15, which was kind of a bad break, I thought, more than anything, uh, the way the, the the ball skipped off the off the hill. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we've seen other guys hit that shot countless times and not get um, that bounce or that skid that Hideki got. And I'm, I was pretty surprised it went that far. Yeah, I, until that happened, he was just cruising around for 68 and a half holes. Mm-hmm. So it got a little bit tense there for him at the end. Uh, I got nervous when he missed the three-footer or whatever it was, four-footer, that would have ended the golf tournament. He had to go back and tap in. 
Yeah, I was I was gonna say the same thing. I was praying for that golf ball to stop rolling. I'm like, please don't go three feet past the hole. I I mean, I don't know how you could stand over that and make that putt. I mean, that was terrifying. I mean, it was terrifying just to see that foot and a half, two footer that he had left, but um, you know, to finish it off. But um, it was kind of reminiscent of a uh, Tiger uh, a couple years ago. He hit that pretty a wayward approach shot. Um, going into 18 and kind of made you, you know, maybe nervous for a second. I mean, you still felt like you had it in hand. Well, no, I was pretty nervous. <laughs> I was nervous even on that three-footer he had to close it out. Yeah. Him and Patrick Reed had some lengthy little, uh, you know, three, four-footers to end that golf tournament, both of them recently, mm-hmm. with one-shot leads. And uh, Hideki, Hideki one-footed that thing, which I would – I would never do. Yeah, when he re- when he reached around, I don't know how anybody does that with the Masters on the line. Yeah, no, I'm not sure either. I might have had to take like a, a five minute break. <laughs> yeah, I would have been walking around at all angles and probably gotten made fun of. Bubba, yeah. Bubba did that in that playoff against Ustase, and you remember that? Where I, he like he had like a one footer, <laughs> he circled the cuff, and everybody's like, "Just tap it in." But yeah, exactly. It's like. Yeah, That's no. Understandable. Yeah, exactly. No, don't just tap it in. You're the final group. I mean, there's no one playing behind you. I mean, let's, you know, let's get the job done and, you know, <laughs> make sure there's nothing in that putt that, you know, you're not seeing or that you are seeing and you need to get some, you know, some feedback from your caddy. I mean, yeah, it's fine. I mean, at that point in the tournament, absolutely. Well, I think the reason why it feels like to you that he's been around for so long, you know, he really hadn't, is this has been the wait for Japan for – our whole lives, and obviously, I mean, Aoki won in Hawaii the year before I was born, a few years before you were, mm-hmm. and it's been pretty normal, I guess, for in our lifetime for Japanese golfers to be on the map around the world. I mean, Jumbo Ozaki was in the top ten for years, but mm-hmm. there hasn't been anybody to break through, and we saw Y.E. Yang do it, uh, what's that, 12 years ago now, but that didn't really open the floodgates for Asian golf. No. So I think this may be the one that does because I think, like you were saying, we knew from – I would say at least I knew from the time Hideki won Memorial when he was 22 that he was going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of time. And he finally – I mean, seven years isn't that long, but it's, it is if you're, you've been waiting an eternity for a major champion. Yeah, exactly. Part of the world. So uh, I think that's the exciting part about what it's going to do for the game. We saw with uh, Sayri Pak on the women's side, 98, that it just opened the floodgates for what we're seeing now in the women's game in South Korea. And I think it may do that in Japan, maybe not to that magnitude, but to a large extent too. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure anything will quite be like what Sayri Pak did uh, to the women's tour. But, I mean, this you can't be anything but excited for what may come. Um, I know I'm excited. I mean, we talk about it ad nauseum all the time, you know, just how much talent there is in the game these days and, just the fact that this could infuse, you know, a whole different level and, you know, bring it to a level we haven't even seen before is just, you know, just it's nothing but good for the game. So you can't be anything but happy for him, for the country, and just for the sport as a whole. Well, he uh, he wouldn't have been my pick, and he wouldn't even been one of my first ten picks because he was in a three-and-a-half-year win drought. Mm-hmm. But I think that, like you were saying, that goes to show how good uh, – the rest of the tour is because his numbers haven't really gone down. The only thing he hadn't done is really contend a lot. And that is a big deal. I mean, that's why they're out there. But if you look at it statistically, he's not playing much worse than he was playing when he got to number two in the world. It's just, he's not on one of those runs right now. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, like you said, it just goes to show you, it's just so hard to pick a guy on a weekly basis. I mean, there, there really are, you throw out 20 to 30 names that you feel like, you know, yeah, they could have a chance any given week. I mean, that's just how it is these days. It's cool to watch. I mean, obviously, I looked a little silly picking DJ. He goes bogey, bogey, uh, round two to miss the cut. I mean, that's just that's just how it is. I mean, you don't bring your A game for, you know, for Thursday and Friday, and I mean, you're sitting out. I mean, it, it's just – it is what it is. There's so many guys that can just put a low score up there, and and then you're just chasing your tail Saturday and Sunday just trying to, you know, scratch back into it. Yeah, and I just uh, – while you were talking a few minutes ago, I was checking today's golf scores, and I just saw Stuart Sink shot his second straight 63. I was wondering if you were going to bring it up first, but uh, well, good, good well, for Stuart. Talking you're talking about depth. I mean, that's a guy that would not be in your 20 to 30 you think could win a given week, and then he's five up at the midway point, so I don't know if he'll – I don't know if he'll finish or not, but on a golf course he's won twice on. He's got as good a chance as probably anywhere. Yeah, I think so. And Stewart's having a good year. What is he? He's got to be pushing 50, 47, 48. Yeah, he's, uh, he'll be 48 soon. Yep. So, I mean, he's already got a win this year. I mean, he'll be uh, the – I mean, if he can finish it, I don't want to jinx him. But, I mean, only uh, Morikama's won twice this year. So, it's kind of weird if you have Morikama and uh, Stewart Sink in the same sentence as far as uh, the only guys to win two of two events this year. And DeChambeau, yeah. Oh, that's true. I forgot about Bryson. Um, but yeah, I mean that go when you got a forty-seven-year-old that's five up in the midway point against a good field that shows how deep they are. But uh, did you think that uh, did you think DJ it was gonna be too much of an ask after you watched him to win two that quickly? Yeah, I mean maybe. I I mean he just like I said, I didn't see a whole lot of Thursday and Friday, so I can't speak for exactly. No, I, didn't, I didn't either. Yeah, so I can't tell you exactly what was going right and what was going wrong. It seemed like a lot more was going wrong than going right. Um, it, you know, I thought he'd play loose, and, you know, loose, you know, sometimes fits his game pretty well. He, I mean, he never has to think too much, just go out and play golf and do what he knows how to do. But, um, yeah, maybe obviously it was a little too much. I mean, that's why we, we don't see a whole lot of repeat winners. I mean, so – yeah, in retrospect, maybe a little silly as far as a prediction like that. Um, but, you know, he'll be back. I have no doubt about it, and I don't think anybody else does either. No, he's got a uh, PGA coming up in his home state, so he needs to get back real quick. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, my, I, I, I was wrong. Spieth peaked one week too soon <laughs> for, uh, for my pick. I probably I probably would have taken that pick back after San Antonio if we'd done a podcast before the Masters since no one's ever won the week before. Yeah, and, and won I, the Masters, but he almost did. He played pretty well. Yeah, and I was gonna say, I mean, you're you're not far off, and I mean, like I mentioned to you, um, not on this podcast, but he's back for sure. I mean, minus a couple of holes. I mean, he had one triple, and I think he might have had two two doubles throughout the week um, where he just you know hit some wayward shots. I mean, but. I mean, there were a couple stretches where the putter wasn't working, but I mean, he was in it still with all those mishaps and um, putts that probably, you know, have fallen, you know, nine times out of 10 for him at Augusta that just weren't quite falling over the weekend. And for him to still be there, I, I mean, it's Jordan's he's here. He, he's back. I mean, he's here to stay, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a good, good pick. But like you said, I, I know you would have taken it back um, knowing he had won the week prior. Yeah, I might have taken it back. It wouldn't have mattered because I never would have picked Matsuyama. 
So no. I wasn't going to get it right one way or the other. But uh, I was wrong in that I said that he was the best putter in the world at Augusta. He wasn't this week, but he did burn a lot of edges. So he's not far off either. Yeah, he's not far off. And, I mean, what, he, he lost by three strokes? I mean, just yeah. a couple of those putts fall in. And, I mean, you just don't know what happens. It's a little um, misleading because Hideki was uh, hyper cautious coming in. Let's put it that way. Yeah, he got beat by a little worse than three. Yeah, that, that was the final margin. That's that's very fair. Um, I would have loved to see Xander not put it in the in the drink on sixteen. Um, you know, just to have just add that little more excitement. Um, but you know that that happens, and this is the one time I didn't pick Xander. I feel like I picked Xander for multiple majors um, the past two or three years, so. Um, I feel like it's only a matter of time before he eventually breaks through. I mean, he's just got too much game not to break through, um, especially at a place like Augusta. Yeah, he's uh, in some big moments. Probably, I'd even go back to Kapalua last year, but at least since Colonial when they had the the, the return after the, the pandemic, he's he's hit some really, really bad shots to the left under pressure. Mm-hmm. He had some in Phoenix this year and until he fixes that it's hard to say uh i mean he may just blow a field away because he just plays one of those complete weeks and wins by five or six that wouldn't surprise me but if he's under pressure he's got a little bit of work to do and i think he's got some uh demons to to deal with in the short term yeah uh, i mean i think at this point they have to start creeping in and i mean you hate to have another uh ricky fowler type golfer where you know, you just keep burning these edges uh, at major championships and big tournaments and not coming through. But, I, I mean, nobody puts it in the water on 16 anymore. I mean, you, no. you, just, you just don't do it. I mean, I didn't. I mean, that's hardly in play. He said yeah. he said he clubbed. He missed club because of the wind. He said that he hit it good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that happens unless you hit it a little thin. But, I mean, who am I to comment on anybody else's golf swing? So. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take it for what it is and for what he says. But, you know, the line that that ball had, I mean, he, he, he tugged it. I mean, I, I feel like you never have that line on 16. I mean, it's just not the line you see. So, but, you know, another learning experience for him. And, you know, hopefully he rebounds and hopefully, you know, he doesn't let those demons stick around for too long because, you know, he's too good of a golfer to uh, um, to not be in contention. So hopefully we see him again. I, I think we will, but, I mean, you just – you never know these days. No, he'll have some more chances. It's just a matter of is he going to continue to have that happen when he's under pressure. He's – he's uh, he doesn't have many weaknesses. I don't know if he has – there's not one thing he does other than he's pretty good around the greens, but I don't know there's one thing I can point to and say he's one of the three or four best in the world at this, but he doesn't have any real clear weakness. So, if for him, it's going to be the mental side of it. But he's going – he's got a U.S. Open at home at Torrey where he plays all the time. So, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he won a home one there. Uh, yeah. You know, that – I don't know. I mean, just – that's just a – he, you know, he's been the top six or seven in the U.S. Open the last four years, but it's also a place where uh, Phil's won, Craig Stadler won, Scott Simpson won. I mean, there's a long history of San Diego guys winning at home, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the one he finally gets because I think it's, Torrey Pines will play even more into his hands in June when it's playing firm and fast than it does when the Buick Invitational is played or Farmers Insurance Open, whatever it is now. And he was runner-up there this year, mm-hmm. so I, I would – he might be my pick come June. 
Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad pick. I mean, I, I, I would definitely consider it as well. Um, at this point, I probably won't pick him just because I'm afraid that every time I do, he, he doesn't normally play well that week. Um, or he comes up short and, you know, puts it in the drink or something. So we'll see. <laughs> He's probably the only guy who leaves Augusta with baggage, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. At this point, it's just, I mean, it's got to get to you. I mean, he's he's been right there, what, four times now? Um, a few, yeah. So, Well, you were pretty impressed with Will Zalatoris from I, I'm, your text. I'm, yeah, I'm very impressed with what I see with Will. Uh, so I did a little bit of research on him before we All jumped right. on this podcast. So. I've done none, so go ahead. All right, so I, I'm going to drop a little bit on you right now. I mean, some stuff you're already going to know. Obviously – um, you know, he's already got a six at Wingfoot, um, going back to the U.S. Open last year. Um, so he's got a six and a solo second, you know, for his t- first two majors. You know, that's impressive all on its own. Uh, he was the only golfer this week to shoot under par at the Masters all four rounds. Um, Hideki, he shot 73, I think, on Sunday to go over par. Um, but yeah, only one to go under par all four rounds at the Masters. Uh, he went under par all four rounds at the Players. He's already got a top 10. Um, at Bay Hill. So, I mean, the way he strikes the golf ball, I mean, for a guy that weighs probably 150 pounds soaking wet, yeah. uh, he hits his irons. I, I mean, he hits them as good right now, I think, as anyone on the tour right now, based on what I saw Saturday and Sunday. I mean, he hits it so straight. I mean, I feel like every time he has a long iron in his hand, there's potentially going to be good results. And he, he's pretty good off, off the tee as well. I mean, I've, I consistently over 300 i mean he's not going to bomb it out there 350 like like dj and bryson but i mean not he can hold time. his own no not every time no, no not every time not every time but um i think the sky could be the limit for him i mean <laughs> i mean granted i'm going on what i've seen for from bay hill to the masters uh, to the players i haven't seen a whole lot but what i have seen it seems like he's got staying power i don't know what you think about that Oh, no, there's no question he's going to be on the tour for years. I'm a little less bullish than you, and you're going to know why exactly. Have you seen the putting stroke? Have you seen seen the claw grip at 24 years old? Yeah, and and you notice I left that out of all my my applauding him. Yes, yes, unfortunately he does have that. I think statistically he's not a bad putter this year, but, I mean, we've seen that long – I mean, they've already banned the the anchor anchoring of the long putter. Adam Scott mm-hmm. still looks blatantly like he's anchoring to me, but I Adam Scott's such a good guy. I don't believe for one second he's intending to cheat. Yeah, I don't think he is either. But I agree. Every single time I see it, I'm like, are we just not going to say anything? Or yeah, is he just too <laughs> nice and too cool for anyone to comment on him? But it, I mean, I we saw it with Keegan Bradley of what happens when you take that that thing out of his hand when you're in your in your mid-20s, we saw with Webb Simpson, too, of guys that were already putting like that in college. And I just can't imagine how anybody's hands aren't steady enough to putt with at least at least cross-handed mm-hmm. with some sort of conventional grip when you're 24 years old. You've got, <laughs> you've got major yip issues if you're putting with that stroke. And I just wonder if that'll hold up under pressure. I mean, he made the big one on 18, on 72nd hole at Augusta, but – it was kind of for nothing. It was a big cash putt for it was. a young guy, but it wasn't a, a winning putt. And so, I mean, Masayama had to have a catastrophe anyway to not win that golf tournament. But um, 
I don't know. Well, I'll be more impressed if I see him close out a golf tournament under pressure with that putting stroke. But I haven't yeah, seen that. Yeah, exactly. Yet. And I agree with you 100%. Um, like I said, I'm just going off of his actual iron play and how straight I, I've seen him hit it the few times I have seen him. Um, it looks like from tee to green, he's got what it takes. But, but yeah, it's – it's gonna. Oh, yeah. It's. I mean, as as it always does, it's gonna come down to what you what you can do on the green. So, um, yeah. I mean, we'll find out soon enough. I think because I mean, I don't think he's going away. I mean, he's having a good week right now. Um, you take Stuart Sink out of the equation, I think he's three back right now. <laughs> um, well, if you, well, you know that. Um, you know, from when you and I were in college, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and I've had to take it out of uh, when you have to cut some things from sports, one of the things I cut. But you and I, when I was, you know, I'd go out to college tournaments and I was always following the amateur guys that were mm-hmm. our age. So, therefore, you know, I've been watching Cantlay since he was like 20 and Brian Harmon and, you know, I know Russell Henley a little bit and Harris English and some of those people. And uh, so I haven't, I didn't, but I've pretty much eliminated watching golfers until they get to the PGA Tour. So I knew a little bit about Zalatoris, but I hadn't seen him. But I knew even when he was at Wake, people were talking about him as being one of the 10 best iron players on the planet. So, I mean, this is not shocking that he's come out. He dominated the mini tour mm-hmm. last year, but he only won once. So that's what I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't think he's going to win in bunches because he might, but I want to see it before I say he's going to be. Uh, one of the top players in the game. I think he'll make a Ryder Cup team for sure, but I'll hold off on saying that I think he's going to be top five or six in the world. I, I want to see him. Yeah, and you beat me to it. Um, I was going to say the same thing, but, yeah, I noticed uh, last year he did only have that one win, but, yeah, he, he was around the top five and top ten all year. But, I mean, you're right as far as closing the deal. Um, obviously, I didn't see a whole lot of, you know, uh, the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, last year so I didn't get to see exactly what happened on those uh, Sunday afternoons so um w- nah but when we were like 25 I watched a lot of corn <laughs> yeah, <off. laughs> Not yeah so much exactly anymore. uh you we were talking about Dustin Johnson earlier we'll get off the master in a second but the funniest one to me not funny for him but just funny to see how Augusta can just mess with people you know, Sung J.M. almost won the Masters in his first try last year. I think he shot 79 on <laughs> he Thursday. Did. Oh, man. So, I wonder if he thought – I mean, I can't get in Sung J's head, but if I was him or Cam Smith, I probably think every time I come to Augusta, I'm going to be in convention. And uh, he found out uh, <laughs> at 22 years old, that's probably not going to no, be it's, it's really not. It can be a pretty humbling experience, uh, you know, on a one-day basis. I mean, look at Bryson. I mean, it's still a par 67 to him, right? I haven't seen him break that par 67 yet. No, he uh, – he. it's like a par 74. Yeah, it, right it really is. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously he doesn't make it on TV all that much when he's shooting horrible scores like that, but I guess we can just guess that he was way offline. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that he really can be. I mean, because if that's in the fairway. I mean, he's got – I mean, he's using, you know, 7-8 iron when some guys are using 4-5 and five iron, so. Yeah, even maybe even more extreme yeah, than I mean, that. maybe. But but the mystery to me was that he won Wingfoot by six and he wasn't in those fairways. That's yeah, true. <laughs> so I, I couldn't figure out at all what happened at the U.S. Open, how he was able to get out of yeah. that rough. And yet Augusta doesn't have that kind of rough, and he clearly wasn't getting out of wherever he was mm-hmm. this week, so. 
I don't know. I, I was shocked. I thought he'd play better than that after he was humbled a little bit in the last Yeah, game. I did too. I thought for sure he'd be, you know, sniffing around on Sunday without a doubt. And, you know, especially after that learning experience last year where, you know, he did get humbled uh, <laughs> pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, pretty surprising. And I'm sure he's trying to figure out exactly what happened too. And I'm going to take back something I said earlier. Uh, I think somebody else did come out of there with baggage. I think Roy McIlroy has a mental block right now at Augusta. And I think that was evident with the way he plays the first round every single year. But Bryson may be experiencing some of that, too, where he tries mm-hmm. too hard. Yeah, you're right about Roy, too. Um, it's too bad. I mean, that one round in particular has just thrown off his entire game at Augusta. Um you know, not that he's been playing very, you know, that great lately. I mean, I think we're all aware of some of the issues he's been having um, with his swing. But um, you can only hope that he finds it, you know, for four days at Augusta one of these years. How crazy is it that Rory McIlroy really doesn't trust his own golf? Yeah, I know. It's one of the prettiest things you've ever seen, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense to me at all, him chasing more distance. What's he, I mean, he'd be, what, fourth or fifth on the tour in distance every yeah. year? I mean. You don't need to be chasing Bryson DeChambeau anymore. You need to be chasing Dustin Johnson or Bubba Watson or yeah. anybody else. Just hit yeah, the ball. Exactly. He just needs to go back to, to doing what he, what he does. And that's just just smacking that driver, you know, 320 right down the middle of the fairway. And so what if Bryson's 20 yards further than you? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what's going on with him. But, I mean, only he really knows that. But, um I hope he makes it back. I mean, I think he will. There's still plenty of time. I mean, he's another guy that's been around forever. That's still a young guy. Yeah, no question he makes it back. We've seen him go through long lulls before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll he'll get torn at some point and win three out of five or something like that eventually because he's one of those guys where one thing clicks and all of a sudden his whole game turns around. He starts strutting down the fairway mm-hmm. again. And when he starts strutting, it, I but, mean, it affects everything. I mean, just everything just magnifies and it's just so much better. But I've said for years I thought he'd eventually win the Masters. I'm way less confident yeah, about that. I'm a little worried about that too, um, to be quite honest. Uh, it's just, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, anything else that you can uh, take from Augusta that we can uh, that has effect on the rest of the season? You think? Uh, I mean, not too much besides what we already knew or what you knew, and then I came to know, you know, a week or two later that you know Jordan's back, and um, it just makes the tour that much more interesting. I mean, a lot of the main guys that we would expect to be there were there again on Sunday. Um, you know, John Rahm made that nice close, and you know we. <laughs> It's it's crazy that you forget about John Rahm, you know, one of the top five players in the world. But, I mean, he's still there. Xander's still there. Uh, Jordan's back. I mean, Justin Thomas for a little while looked like he was going to make a, a pretty hard charge at the leaderboard um, until he faltered a little bit. So, I don't think anything crazy. I think the, the big names all showed some spurts. And, you know, I think it's setting up to be a, a pretty fun year. JT hit one of those shots on 13 like I hit all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, that was a prime Richard Dumas wedge right there that he dumped into yeah. Race Creek inexplicably. Yeah, I, the coolest thing about what's going on in golf right now is this, since last August, if you count the, I, you know, I consider the players, if it's not a major, it's pretty dang close. So if you if you factor in the players going back to the PGA last year and more Cowell one, you've got eight, pretty much eight huge events between August of last year and July of this year. 
and you're seeing, uh, I think Faldo maybe was the one who predicted on TV, and I thought he'd be right, that somebody would catch fire and win more than one mm-hmm. of them. We haven't seen that yet, but you've seen Morikawa and DeChambeau pretty much become stars, basically, mm-hmm. in, the t- in the time that that's happened. You saw JT kind of go from being a star to a superstar, and you saw Dustin Johnson become a legend. Mm-hmm. And now you've seen Matsuyama, if not become a star in the U.S., at least become a star globally and be probably the biggest star in Japan. Yep, no doubt. And that's what that's what major championship golf does. And we've got three more of these in the next couple of weeks that, and the next 12 weeks or so that there's going to be probably three more people who are going to have their lives changed. And that's what I think is the coolest thing about yep. golf. Yep, I agree 100%. I'm, I'm excited. Um yeah, this time of the year, right when the Masters gets underway and we start getting into major championship season, um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we can wait for baseball in a few months. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, while you're talking about it, I haven't got like we we texted earlier today. I haven't seen really any games yet in MLB, and neither of yep. you. So I don't have any real early thoughts other than uh, the Dodgers look like <laughs> the team to beat, like we thought they were based on the standings. Yeah, eleven and two um, as of yesterday, with a uh, I think a run differential of close to forty. I mean, in 13 games. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. And here's Atlanta struggling to come up with a pitching yeah, staff. Yeah, no, we're just falling by the wayside. And like I joked with you, without Acuna, I mean, who knows if we're even on the – we have a W in the win column. I mean, he's been that amazing. But, yeah, the Dodgers just look absolutely untouchable. I mean, this is it, – there's it's the biggest gap I've seen in a very, very, very long time. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, who can possibly contend with this team in a seven-game series? Just looking at the way everything is now, obviously we're 13 games in and we've got 140 games to go. <laughs> I mean, this is – 150 yeah, almost. So, I mean, it's just – a lot's going to change, obviously. And But, I mean, today, I mean, it's Dodgers and then everybody else is down three, four notches. I mean, that's just what it is right now. I saw something. The most disconcerting thing I saw about the Braves, I think I stated on this podcast several weeks ago that Max Breed had enough of a track record <laughs> to suggest he would pitch well. <laughs> well, you know, as you've seen, he's come out pitching terribly. So I read in the AJC, not having seen the game, that Freed had to leave with a hamstring injury. I was thinking, oh, well, that's why he's struggling. Apparently, that's that happened when he was running the bases <laughs> after he'd given up seven runs. <laughs> So that had nothing to do with the seven runs that he gave up in the first two innings the other night or whatever yeah, it was. Pretty- but if he doesn't pitch well, we don't get Soroka back. <laughs> Braves might get stuck around 500, yeah. but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I was about to say, Soroka can't get back fast enough at this point. I mean, we are, we're just bleeding right now. I think Smiley just – I mean, not that Smiley is this huge name that's going to get us, you know, to the postseason. But, I mean, we need all the depth we can get at this point, and he's on the, the I.L. Yeah, and I wasn't counting on much from him to start no. with. But we need, in the short term, they need Bryce Wilson and Cal Wright and some of those guys to step in and play, pitch well. But I'm not worried. It's early. Like you said, Acuna is the early MVP uh, leader. So he maybe he can put us on his back until everybody else starts. Yeah, hitting. and he, he might have to. The good thing about the NL East, I mean, it's just so even from top to bottom. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to pull away and, you know, say adios to the other four teams. Um so it's going to be a dogfight to the end. So, 
Um, I'm not really worried about it right now. We just got to get our arms back. I mean, obviously, we got to get Freddie and Azunia hitting. Um, you know, they're ice cold right now. Um, you know, and no one's really hitting besides Acuna. <laughs> no. I wonder when uh, – I'll ask you this. This is kind of – you know, we're having a sports podcast, so we should at least try to make an effort. But when do you think you'll get around to watching MLB? Because, you know, the NBA is going to be going until the end of July now. Yeah, exactly. And that, so that, I'm thinking MLB might be a postseason thing for me. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it really might be. I mean, it's, it, it's sad that, you know, it's one of the, you know, four major sports, you know, a sport that we love and – we're talking about not giving it, you know, the time of day until July, August. But, I mean, really, that's what it's about. I mean, that's when I really start, you know, I getting pe- I'm getting peaked as far as my interest goes. And, I mean, that's when the race really starts. I mean, let's just, you know, say what it is. I mean, so, <laughs> unfortunately, for our, for our listeners that are expecting a, a breakdown um, every two or three weeks about the, uh, the comings and goings of the MLB season, they may be uh, left to want. <laughs> Here, here's what I don't understand, though. When I was a kid, and I don't know if it's because I was a kid. I haven't figured this out. Or if it's because I just had this understanding that the Braves were going to win. <laughs> and so it was more tolerable. But I used to watch probably 70% of the Braves games, at least for five or six innings. I might not make it till the end, or I might not start in the first. But I was going to watch the majority of them. I hardly ever watch a game anymore, and I don't even miss it. It, I'm the exact same way. I mean, TBS was almost on speed dial for me. I mean, right. and now it's it's weird. I mean, it really is. I don't have a, a clear explanation as to what's happened, but it just doesn't draw my interest early in the season. I mean, yeah, later in the season, I mean, I'll, I'll get into it just like you will when the when the races heat up and, you know, but yeah, it's just it's not the same anymore. It, it, it just won't hold me. I don't get into it during the regular season though either. Like, I mean, we clinched the we clinched some divisions and I barely cared. <laughs> but I do. I mean, I do still enjoy October baseball because there's more strategy involved and everything's hanging on each pitch and all that stuff. But, um, I I, I the only thing I can think is that there's nothing more worse of feeling like a waste of time than you watch a baseball game for four hours and your team loses. <laughs> And I don't feel as confident that my team's going to win as I did when Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and Smoltz were pitching. That's fair. That's fair. I thought we so, I thought we were going one sixty two and zero every single year. To be quite honest, right? <laughs> but I had very few. I had very few wasted nights where I was like, "Oh, that was stupid." I don't know why I sat. If I sat through a Braves loss right now and I wasted four hours, I'd feel like looking to see how many spare hours I have in my week and felt like I wasted half of them. <laughs> That's fair. So I don't I don't know. That's the only thing I can think. But really, since we were even when we were in college, I watched the Braves a lot. But since then, I've just kind of maybe it's because we just don't have all the um, the players haven't been on the team as long or something. I don't have a rooting interest as much. Mm-hmm. But that didn't really stop me in '91 when we got Terry Pendleton and all those people. I was watching all of those games, even though I didn't know who any of them were. That's true. That's true. But, I, something something has to do with us aging for sure. It does, but something has to be done by Rob Manfred because I can't be the only person who thinks that way. Well, no, I mean, you can't be because I'm the same way. And, you know, there's only two people on this podcast. So if there's two people sitting right here, I mean, there's got to be two others right down the street from me, which means there's millions of people that are feeling this way. But are you uh, are you as affected by the, the how slow the game is? Like, I used to like the slow aspect of baseball the way I like the slow aspect of golf. Mm-hmm. But yet the games do seem like they take too long, and I don't really know why because they always 
took a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they but they seem like it's magnified now. I mean, it really does. I mean, and obviously we've got replay now, and we've got these other things that take up time. I mean, yeah, there's been you know new things added to the game to try to speed up the game, but at the same time, we have these other things going on that are slowing down the game. So it, it's almost like a wash. I mean, I I don't have the you know the stats in front of me to see what the average game time was ten years ago, twenty years ago, as opposed to today. But you know, it can't be that big of a difference. I mean, it, it can't be so. Um, yeah, I feel like time isn't really the thing. Well, I, one other thing was when I was a kid and Clemens or, or Andy Johnson or somebody was on the mound, I was so excited by strikeouts. And now I'm like, thick, the ball's not in play. <laughs> yeah. I never used to be excited by ground outs to short, but it's like we don't see them anymore. So now I like wish we did have ground. I mean, at least you got to see people play defense every once in a while. That's true. Did you see that uh, ground ball that uh, Cunha hit to uh... – to short that he uh he he hammered the ball to short and he he ran it out and was safe i mean there was no bobble on the on the play the throw was crisp it was sharp it was fast i think he uh ran down the line and like it was an absurd time i, I wish i knew exactly what it was i i read it in the same article about max breed's hamstring but no i didn't actually <laughs> ever see the play uh, there was some there was some story that came out uh today i saw uh, and I didn't read it either, but I think it was Sports Illustrated was talking about Ronald Acuna might be the most exciting player in the game. And I don't think that despite Ronald Acuna's stats, I've seen a single highlight all season. I, I know. I know. I feel awful about it. <laughs> he's like the re- – I think, yeah, I think he's the reason I think I should be watching the Braves. But, yet when I do, I kind of regret that I watched the Braves. So, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's a double-edged sword. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um I mean, granted, I can't watch all the games that you guys you guys can, but you know, occasionally, you know, they're on, uh, you know, national televised games down here, and you know, I still miss out. Well, it's actually an uproar going on up here because uh, the Bally's Casino bought out Fox Sports South, and so it's now Bally's Sports South or something like that. Oh, some weird, <laughs> and 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 apparently they have an exclusive contract with AT and T. The direct TV's the only provider, which I happen to have now. Oh, good lord! So I get the games, but there's a bunch of people who who uh, decided to uh, to stop having cable or not have satellite or whatever, who aren't able to watch them. They don't have any contract with YouTube or any of that, so there's no streaming for the. So there's a lot of people upset they can't watch the Braves right now. So I would volunteer to give them my Braves. <laughs> They'll pay me some money to watch it, but you know I don't, you know. Apparently, I can still watch it, though. I just haven't chosen to. There you go. I'll talk to Nate. I'm sure Nate would be interested. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> um, well, along the same lines of the Braves, uh, since we talked, uh, I think at one point I said I was excited about the possibility of Atlanta having the All-Star game. Yeah. And Atlanta is no longer having <laughs> yeah. the All-Star game. Yeah, that changed, so, that changed pretty quickly. I'm pretty sure Manfred was uh, – a. I thought he was taking a hard line in the sand that, you know, no matter the backlash, no matter the protests, whatever the case may be, it was going to stay in Atlanta. And then the next night, the next morning, it just completely flipped 180. Yeah, I mean, I understand it to a certain extent. Now, I've, I know a little bit more about the, the law itself mm-hmm. from living here than maybe some of these activists around the country do mm-hmm. and i don't think i think it's being misportrayed to a certain extent 
but I can. But MLB has a choice to make, and they can choose to do what they want. So I don't. I don't have any issue at all with them choosing not to have the game in Atlanta if they have a uh, feel like they have a moral reason not to. But I, I kind of am concerned that the baseball commissioner isn't worried about teams cheating to win the World Series, but he's worried about a voting law that has nothing to do with the game that he's presiding over. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a fair point. And, I mean, how can you not bring it up at this point? I mean, <laughs> you see a slap on the wrist for, you know, what we saw with Houston. But, but now for this, we're, you know, we're taking a game out of, you know, Atlanta where, you know, some of these small businesses, I mean, you could speak more to this than I could, obviously, being, you know, pretty in tune and pretty close to the area. But I, I know a lot of these businesses must have been just, you know, excited for, for that weekend. Um, a lot of these places that need, you know, this kind of a, an uptick in, in foot traffic and sales and, and everything else. And, it, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, the whole situation is unfortunate. The, um, so, I, I mean, I don't, obviously, I don't want to get into politics too much, you know, on this podcast. But, um, <laughs> I mean, what, what do you feel about, uh, about the actual law? And, like, how do you, would you have made the same decision if you were in, you know, that position? My feeling on the law is that the law was probably needed, but because it was pushed by Republicans after the president uh, claimed that there were voting irregularities that were never proven, mm-hmm. and it makes it seem like this is a natural reaction to the president, I think for some Republican lawmakers it probably was, but there's also been plenty of instances. I covered one in particular the newspaper on a local race in Forsyth that there was clear and obvious voter irregularities. The, uh, the irony of that is that Brian Kemp, was the, new, the now current governor of Georgia, for anyone listening, was the secretary of state at the time, and our paper uh, drew attention to it and had uh, a local, uh, local member of the community filed a grievance and sent the evidence to Brian Kemp's office, and Kemp managed to give do nothing basically Mm. he gave some slap on the wrist fines to people that he knew had committed voter irregularities Mm -hmm. that really affected a mayoral race um so we know that the kind and that had to do with absentee balloting and people copying using the same signature over and over again some of the stuff that this law is designed to stop Mm -hmm. so there it's not it's not all a reaction directly to oh georgia went red to blue and uh Donald Trump lost the election and all that stuff, but there's certainly a national perception that is because of when it got presented. It would have been much smarter to have taken care of that in a year or done it slowly with uh, revisions to the, you know, over a period of time rather than rewriting a whole voter law. And, and, but, and you hit the nail on the head right, right there. I mean, it's the timing of it more than anything. I mean, with everything going on in this country and, you know, black people, Hispanic people, whatever the case may be, you know, them facing their issues, you know, with the police and, you know, immigration and, and now voting. You, you want to tack that on with everything else that's going on in this country. And the timing is just you couldn't have picked a worse time to do something like this. And, and I agree. There's some aspects of the law that, you know, I just kind of shake my head at. I'm not sure exactly where it came from, but. There are some parts of it that, you know, you know, and I vote Democrat and Republican. You know, I'll put that out there on this podcast right now. I don't mind voting either side. I've done it before and I'm sure I'll do it again. Um, But, yeah, there were some aspects of the law that people are up in arms about that I'm not really sure why they're so up in arms about. So I figure that it must be 
because of the timing and the perception of exactly when this happened. Well, the, uh, the thing that got the, the play nationally was obviously the food and drink issue. Mm-hmm. The, what was put into the law, and it never should have been, quite honestly. That was, I mean, it, that was just dumb to put that in and have people think. Because, not, not because of what it was, but because of people, what per, people perceive it to be. But the, the, law, the new law states that uh, basically uh, lobbyists, activists, whatever you want to call them, special interest groups can't provide food and water within 150 feet of the voting facility Mm -hmm. what they can't what what can be done is that the voting the uh the vote vote the voter workers the uh, poll workers what am i talking about poll workers Mm -hmm. can provide or have the option of providing food and water for the people in line within 150 feet yes thank you thank (laughs) you so they people. I don't think that there's any poll that if people are outside in the heat in, the, in a primary election in Georgia in July, that there's any chance that they won't go out and give people water. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And the whole the law was rewritten so that people wouldn't be sta- inclined to stand in line as much. They would have more opportunities to drop their vote off at that uh, ballot box at uh, outside. Well, I think they're going to be inside the the actual uh, early voting location which i think is understandable not just sitting out on the pavement somewhere mm-hmm. but you can drop your absentee vote off early and come in and you're not you're not going to be there'll be way less people on election day standing out in the heat that are going to need food and water by the way the law was written yeah exactly and i don't think people understand that they thought oh they're not going to give them food or water. why would you even include that that's just dumb <laughs> Yeah, just, it was. I mean, but but there probably would be people swayed if they got an ice cream sandwich from uh, Brian Kemp's, uh, you know, <laughs> friend or something. I don't know. You know, I, I can see why what they were thinking, but the perception and, like you said, the timing of everything was a disaster. But mm-hmm. I, I don't. I just don't see what MLB. I don't see the reason for. I guess there was going to be some African American players who might protest playing there. Uh, Tony, Clark, I think the biggest thing was Tony Clark, the president associate of the, well, what's the uh, head of the president, or, uh, the uh, players association. The, yeah, president of the players association. Um, he's African American. I think he pushed back hard on it, and Manfred didn't want some kind of labor war over it, which makes sense. But mm-hmm. uh, it just seems like it's kind of, I mean, you know, Denver, Denver, may, Colorado may be more of a blue state now, but. I don't know that it's easier to vote in Colorado than it is in Georgia. Yeah, I, I see. And that's just it. I don't really know if, you know, what that really affects or, you know, I just, I don't see the, <laughs> I don't see what comes out of it, out of moving, moving it to a different state like that. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm not seeing the full picture here, but um, time will tell. But I agree. It seems like that he just didn't want to deal with Tony. He didn't want to deal with the Players Association and the problems that we're going to arise because of this so he made the easy decision to just move it i mean i think that's what it boils down to i think if you ask for his reasoning i don't think he's going to give you any sound reasons you know as far as how the law is written or how it may be perceived by people i think he's he would literally just go back to you know just i think it's the right thing to do because you know you know the players association thinks this way and you know i back the players association yeah, I, I had no problem with them moving it. I'm I'm curious of whether it's going to be a domino 
where the NCAA won't come back or anything like that, then they're going to have to rethink the law probably. Yeah, I, I would think so. And I don't – I mean, in the with the Republican-led uh, state government, I don't know that they're going to rethink the law. They may say bye. I, I mean, I've heard a lot of that around here where people have just said, screw MLB, we don't need you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more here than Atlanta. I don't know what they're saying in Cobb County where they're actually going to lose all the revenue. Exactly. But here locally, people are like, I don't want to watch them. You know, there are some people who are ticked they can't see the Braves on Bally or whatever. But there's mm-hmm. another faction who says we don't need to watch the Braves at all. We don't want to give MLB anything. And they've lumped MLB into the uh, left-wing loonies and all the stuff that you hear around here all the time, which I don't know if that's fair either. But it was just uh, it was a bizarre thing for Rob Manfred to, to hang his hat on to me. But Yeah, I think so too. So uh, I'm sure, you know, this won't be the last time we hear about it, um, you know. So I'm interested to see, you know, what comes of it. Um, like you said, this could be a domino effect for, you know, not just, you know, MLB, but for other sports down the road and not necessarily just in Georgia too. So um, we'll see. Well, Arthur Blank got his one Super Bowl in his new facility, but I think he'd be pretty disappointed if that doesn't come back anytime in the next decade. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd be that, pissed too. That would be the that would be the big one, but they, they, the – Atlanta already lost the Final Four last year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Some local businesses are probably feeling the effects. But the reality, and if you want to if you want to go after the Braves in any way, shape, or form, I would say that the Braves' white flight out to Cobb County was a far mm-hmm. more egregious than most of what you've seen uh, racially based in the voting law. Oh, but, yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, there's far- no – Sorry. No, it's okay. I cut you off. I was just saying, yeah, I don't think there's any argument to be made except for what you just said. Well, and my, my argument uh, goes back to what you were saying about uh, local businesses being affected. The reality is with the new stadium, the Braves get a big cut out of most of the, I believe anyway, out of what's, uh, all the restaurants at the Battery that they built mm-hmm. or had built around the stadium. And, they're, I mean, having been there a few times, the the all the most of the parking money now goes to the Braves or at least a big portion of it, and there's a few hotels around, but but in reality, and some apartment complexes, but most of the stuff, if you were gonna eat before at some point to go to a game in Atlanta, you're gonna eat there or right around the stadium where the Braves are gonna get a lot of that revenue. So, uh, I guess you'd lose some of the hotels will lose out from out of town uh, patrons, maybe in the downtown area, but I. In reality, it's not like Turner Field where you'd have people on Peachtree Street and International and all that eating at all the places around there. It's very mm-hmm. uh, cut off from everything else in Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't I don't know what effect it's going to have. It'll, it'll have effect on Cobb County. It'll have effect on the Braves organization. But I don't I don't maybe it's overblown a little bit on how it's affecting the rest of the community. That might just be a way to push back and not sound like you're being ridiculous, but we'll see. Yes, we shall. Uh, I so hate we, squeeze, we, we squeeze some politics into our podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, we we should. and Some people might listen to that and not like my perspective on it, but uh, I had someone uh, text me the other day about jo- somewhat joking and somewhat not that, like, the realities in Georgia right now, the Democrats are mad 
they're still mad over losing the gubernatorial race to Kemp and all that stuff. The Republicans mm-hmm. are mad about what happened with Trump. They're mad about the Senate seats. So everybody's mad, and the only people who lose out are the people who live here. And that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it is. It's 100%, unfortunately. So... We don't. We, well, don't anyway. live in a, we don't live in a place where our governor's the front runner for the Republican uh, nomination like you do. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it's a. We're living large down here, Richard. I don't know if you knew that. I saw that sixty minutes piece on your governor. He he uh, he seems to have uh, escaped that unscathed so far. Yeah, he really has. I mean, it's truly a, a magic act. I mean, he has just come out just just shining and smelling clean and. I, 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 it, it's a miracle to me. It really is. I mean, I wouldn't vote for that guy if you paid me. I mean, all right now, now you're taking <laughs> politics a little far. A little far. Well, I'm just like, we, 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 we better move on before we start let's talking move. about DeSantis. Yeah, let's, yeah. For those of you who don't know where Mike lives, I know it's a very special place. You could have still been in Rhode Island for all our listeners knew, you know. I could have been. I could have been. Now everyone knows. That's okay. (laughs) All right. So, uh, Um, yeah, let's try to let's segue into uh, into the final four. What do you say? Yeah, um, I remember the last time we uh, we talked. I think another one of my really terrible predictions was I said I didn't know if we would get a great game, especially on that Saturday. Instead, and, uh, we got maybe wrong. one of the top five games of all of uh, college basketball history. Yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, I've to be quite honest, I, I, I try to rack my mind or rack my brain around some of the other great games I've seen. And the difference with this game is it was from beginning to end, no team. There was no separation. The, the answers from each team was just phenomenal. I mean, players that you know, maybe hadn't played as well, you know, the past two rounds or three rounds, you know, had games of their lives. I mean, like like Cody Riley. I mean, you don't think about UCLA and Cody Riley. He played out of his mind that game against Gonzaga. I mean, we're talking about Gonzaga, obviously, UC, UCLA and Gonzaga. I think our listeners probably could have figured that out based on the game if they watched it. Yeah, they didn't think we were talking about Baylor and Houston, I don't think. I, no, I don't think so. So, I, I mean, it was just I, – I believe – you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think UCLA's biggest lead, they had their biggest lead in the first half of, of six. And Gonzaga looked like they were going to pull away in the second half. They got up by seven with about 12, 11 minutes to go, and they had a little momentum going on. But it, it didn't extend after that. I mean, uh, Juzang hit a couple of big shots, and, you know, the margin dwindled right back down to, you know, a two, three-point game, one-possession game. And that's just how it was from the beginning tip to the very end of the game. And it was just edge of your seat every single second, every single possession. And it, it was it was fantastic. I mean, I, I still talk about it with Hillary because Hillary has a friend that um, lives out near UCLA, and she's a big UCLA fan. And, you know, so she was kind of rooting on the Bruins as well, you know, on behalf of her. So it was fun to watch and fun to kind of talk about again and – is it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, the um the Jalen Suggs block assist uh dunk a sequence that, that Timmy had will probably live on in history and obviously the, the Jalen Suggs game winner will be a March Madness uh video montage uh element for the next hundred years. Absolutely. So you got you have two things right there that 
will probably never forget. And you don't usually get more than one thing in, you know, an NCAA tournament. We got two in the same game. Yep. Yep, uh, absolutely. I mean, and that's – I mean, there, there were so many other moments. I mean, the uh, the charge on, on Juzang when you thought that – when you just knew, you just had that feeling that he was going to hit something at the very end to just end the game and just cement his status as, you know, one, you know, one of the best tournaments by a player of all time that he got UCLA all the way to the final. But then, you know, the, the charge was called and, you know, you had your sway of emotions go the other way. Um, it was just – it was something else. I mean – Timmy, the way he played, the way he flashed on those pick and rolls and just showed that, you know, how how savvy he is around the basket. And I mean, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was just amazing coaching. I mean, Mick Cronin had his team ready to go as a, you know, a 14 and a half point underdog, whatever it was at tip off. And it's it just it was something else. You know, I'll, I'll forever remember it, I think, for a game that wasn't a, a final or a Super Bowl or you know, anything where you got a trophy at the end of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I don't know what the acronym is for this, but Johnny Duzang uh, definitely would have had the title of best player that Richard and Mike had never heard of two weeks <laughs> earlier um, if UCLA had won that game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you would ask me anything about Johnny Juzang, by, besides the fact that he was, a, he was a transfer from Kentucky, I wouldn't have been able to tell you anything about him. I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, that's the one I thing mean, I, I could have talked to you, Richard. Yeah, well, I know it now, but I didn't know that before the NCAA tournament. I swear yeah, see, I never I... heard of Johnny Juzang until, like, round two of the NCAA tournament. <laughs> well, that means you didn't know about uh, Jamie Jaquez either, or Tiger, did you? I didn't. Um, <laughs> I really didn't know that UCLA was going to make the NCAA tournament until I watched the selection show. But, but then apparently they got shafted with their seed from what I heard <laughs> during the selection show. I had no idea they were even good at all. Uh, so that that so probably anyone who listens to us has now turned it off since I have no knowledge at all about UCLA basketball right now. But um, I was impressed by obviously <laughs> by how they played against Gonzaga. I never imagined that. I thought they would get steamrolled. I, I really thought they would too. I, I mean, there's nothing that I saw in the in the four games prior to that or the three games prior to that. I guess it was four because they had the play-in game against Michigan State. Would have been five. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm doing I'm doing very poor math, so we're scaring away even more listeners. Um, <laughs> the ones that are back after we didn't know anybody in the Blue Jays rotation. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but but yeah, it was it was a hell of a run. I mean, that was their third overtime game, um, you know, of the tournament. I mean, obviously the first one, Michigan State, and then uh, Bama. The way the Bama game shook out, you know, that was another buzzer beater to send it into overtime, and obviously they didn't get the. Uh, <laughs> this buzzer beater didn't go so well. Um, they didn't recover from this one, but um, it, it was an amazing run, you know, for a team that, you know, these aren't five-star recruits, obviously. I mean, you, you just, you can tell, I mean, you know, five-star recruits when you see them. I mean, you watch them every day. I, I try to watch them most days. I mean, this, this isn't that team and they played so well together and Mick Cronin had them just firing on all cylinders um, especially after that first game, they just seemed to pick up a little bit of steam every single game. And um, players, like I mentioned, Cody Riley just got more and more confidence. Uh, Tiger got more and more confidence. Uh, Juzang got better as the tournament went on, and he started out, you know, pretty amazing. Um, so it was pretty special to watch. And, you know, it's unfortunate that a team had to lose that way. Um, but, you know, you know, that's sports. And um, unfortunately, we didn't get quite as good a championship game as we did a, a national semifinal. 
No, uh, the the most famous thing about any of those UCLA players, and I'd totally forgotten about it, but I saw it later. I'm not going to name any names. The the statute of limitations might be up, but two of those people that you've named, uh, at least one of them you've named, two of their rotation players were famous, most famous for getting involved in that shoplifting scandal with LiAngelo Ball where they got stuck overseas. Yep. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't realize that was their current players until I heard that later. But uh, before we get to the championship game, uh, what would you – if you thought that was a top five college game, I thought it was too, what what other ones would you rank in there? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, it, you feel like you got to have the uh, – I mean, I would put probably Houston's national title game up there um, just because of the upset factor. Um, ended with a dunk. Ended with a dunk, yeah. Um, Jimmy V was looking for somebody to hug. He, he really was. Um I'll never forget Chris Jenkins pulling up for Villanova and knocking that three at the buzzer to win the national title. I'll never forget having that ticket and not being in that game. Oh, my God. <laughs> probably still have it somewhere around here. Uh, I, I know I'm probably forgetting some other great ones. I mean, everyone thinks of Christian Leitner, you know, getting the getting the ball inbounds and his turnaround with about two seconds left and hitting that at the buzzer and, you know. Um, well. Gene, yeah, Gene Wojciechowski Mar- wrote a book saying that was the greatest game ever played. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought I've seen that game. I thought the Gonzaga game was better. <laughs> I I still to this day have not seen that entire game. I should probably sit down and watch it one day. Yeah, I mean, it was a great game, but I mean, the the myth of that game has to do with the uh, the Rick Pitino guys that stuck around through the probation and were all seniors on that team. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the unbe- unforgettables, whatever that group was called, Richie Farmer, mm-hmm. etc. But I mean, the, the, that was like the the little guys taking on the big bad Duke, the defending national champs with Leitner and Grant Hill and all that. But the game itself was great. But I think the mythology of it has to do with who the who was involved, Patino and Shashevsky and all that. The game as it was played was played better between Gonzaga and UCLA. Yeah, and and I would believe that. I mean, it's hard to. I just can't imagine watching a game right now and seeing it played the same way we just saw in that national semifinal. That, I mean, there was a response every time down the court. I mean, you just you don't see shot making like that every day. You don't see shot making like that in the NBA half. No, there was some pretty good defense in that game, and guys were making shots anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And I mean, some of those were just you know that's just you know let's do it, let's get out there and. You know, let's put it up and and it and it fell. I mean, every single time it seems like it fell when they need when whichever team needed a basket at, at a certain time. And I mean, it was just it was cool to watch. Um, I'm sure there's some other games I'm forgetting. Mario Chal- Super Mario Chalmers hitting that three. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, to- yep. So, um, but but yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty special to watch. I mean, it had all that feel of a national title game. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't and. I mean, I guess segueing into the actual title game. Yeah, I'd rather talk about Gonzaga-UCLA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the title game, Gonzaga never led, which I that that's wild to me that they got down, you know, two minutes into the game, they were down 11-2, to two, and they never led. And I, I, would, I thought it was going to be another great game. I was expecting a classic that night, and that's not what we got. Baylor was awesome. Yeah, they really were. I think I, I think you texted me at the very beginning. I was running late. I was, um, I think I was at basketball or something. 
and I was rushing home and you're like, well, it's like whatever paraphrasing what you said, this couldn't have gone off to a worse start for Gonzaga. And I was like, what do you mean? And then I turn it on and they're, you know, down by 20 already in the first half. And it's just, it's bizarre. Well, they couldn't run their offense. And I don't, I mean, I'm sure they were fatigued and the emotion and coming off of the, the win and feeling like they were already won the championship two nights earlier was going to be hard, but I, Baylor just was better than they were. They were quicker. Uh, their Davion Mitchell was disruptive on everything Suggs was trying to do. He could have been struggling to get the ball down the court a few times. Yeah, he, he really was. And we talked about that, too, that he was still able to make some plays just off his sheer athleticism. But, I mean, he was getting his pocket picked half the time. And, I, I mean, it was a problem. That defense was, was a huge problem. They were in their face for 40 minutes. It was kind of a different version of 40 minutes of hell. Um, you know, it wasn't really a press kind of thing. They were just always there, always, you know, contesting shots and um, just, you know, wanting the rebounds more. And it was just – it was impressive. That was literally from beginning to end just pure dominance with in a game that you would never expect something like that to happen. We're only uh, about five years removed from Scott Drew playing that zone that everyone used to make fun of in the Big 12. <laughs> I know, and uh, <laughs> and I mean, you, if you told me, five, I mean, and I don't know that I ever thought. I think I think the reason they started playing that zone was they got a, he recruited a few long arm big guys like uh, Perry Jones and uh, what's uh, what was you the other there? guy uh, Miller and uh, a couple. Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear? Yeah, me? I got disconnected for a second. Can you hear me, Mike? Yep. That, that's my Wi-Fi that I was telling you about. Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Um, yeah, I was saying that they. I think they started playing in that zone because he recruited Miller and Perry Jones and Quincy AC mm-hmm. and a few other long-arm big guys like that. So I don't know that he never could coach defense, but that was always the perception around Baylor was they were all offense. Uh, that That has changed, obviously. And not much has changed on that staff. So, I mean, Scott Drew obviously had a whole lot of coaching knowledge that no one – Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hats off to him. And, you know, now that we're talking about Scott Drew, I think we'd be – I think we'd be wrong not to mention exactly what he came into at Baylor um, and the turnaround. The cliff notes for everyone that's listening, um, basically he came into a program that was just dismantled by by drugs, by – improper benefits by the actual murder of a teammate. I, I mean, it was there, there couldn't have been a, a worse scenario to come into. And the fact that he has Baylor as a national champion after this and seeing this all the way through is just spectacular. And you can't say, you can't say anything more about the man, um, what he was able to do there. And um, you only hope that, you know, he stays in Baylor and finishes off his career there. Um, it, it's the perfect place for him, especially after what he's been through. Um, obviously the players, you know, the organization, the you know, university as a whole of him. Um, but he's a pretty special person for sticking it out there and getting them to where they are now. Well, he kind of has that huckster uh, uh, persona. And the uh, he reminds me very much of Billy Donovan, who was somebody when we yeah. were in college I used to make fun of and said couldn't coach. And we always wonder where he got his players from. And Scott Drew faced some of those same accusations as to how is Baylor 
getting some of the McDonald's All-Americans that are supposed to be going to mm-hmm. Kansas and Oklahoma State and whatever other school. But the NCAA sniffed around Florida, never found anything, and they sniffed around Baylor, and they never found anything. So maybe those two guys were mm-hmm. just great basketball coaches that didn't get respect. And they were doing things at a young age that they didn't exactly wait their turn like you, uh, a lot of the other older coaches probably thought they should. And, you're, you know, here we are, Scott Drew's 50 now, I think, and it's been 18 years of hard work, but he was younger than you and me are now when he took that job. And it's Can a building process that took two decades, but the fruits of his labor paid off big the other night. Can you hear me, Richard? All right, I, I just disconnected from the Wi-Fi. I got to get on the uh, T-Mobile yeah. network. It's really messing up right now. Um, <laughs> no, you're good. You want me to um, ramble like Limbaugh in the meantime until <laughs> you come up? Um, I'll talk to yeah, myself. So I heard most of what you said. I probably missed a few bits, but um, so I mean, you can repeat maybe the last twenty seconds of what you said. <laughs> no, I just I just said this guy was younger than we were when he took that job in the position it was in. It took two decades, and I mean, and I, a lot of other coaches didn't think that he, uh, when he first got there and he was landing all these big-time players that no one thought would ever go to a school that had gone 58 years making mm-hmm. one NCAA tournament, people thought it was cheating. And nothing was ever uh, proven that he was cheating. And he's just built and built. And then finally, you know, he stopped getting a lot of those guys who went straight to the league real quick. And now he's got a bunch of four-year guys. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing just how good a coach he was capable of being from the bench. And it's uh, this is I said the fruits of his labor paid off of 18 years of hard work. It's just uh, it was cool to see that outcome for uh, for a athletic department that's had yeah, so ab- absolutely. I mean, it's not a better story. I mean, obviously some some people wanted to see Gonzaga go undefeated. Um, you know, I would have been okay with that, but at the same time, I was rooting for Scott Drew. I mean, to to finish off the deal for Baylor to finish off the deal. I mean, what they were handed down from the NCAA was, you know, almost, I mean, not the death penalty, but, you know, pretty close to the death penalty that SMU received. Um, You know, they just, a lot of bad things going on there. And uh, for him to stick it out and, you know, really want to build that program from scratch, which is essentially what he had to do. um, You know, he he proved his worth and, you know, congrats to him, congrats to the whole university and, you know, hopefully, you know, it's just the start of something great because, you know, it's it's fun seeing him. It's fun seeing, you know, him coach that kind of style. Um, I've always enjoyed watching Baylor and if Baylor's playing this good of defense. I really want to watch some more of Baylor. Yeah, I, I felt like that um, as the season came to an end. Uh, it was funny because I was watching first take, I think, that next day, and Stephen A. Mm-hmm. was talking about how he picked the game wrong because it was only his third time seeing Baylor. That's probably why I picked the game wrong, too. It's a shame all those years I've watched college basketball and so many teams and so many games that uh, Gonzaga and Baylor were so good this year, and I just didn't get a lot of time and or interest, I guess, in sitting down and watching those teams. But I wish I had gotten yeah, more absolutely. Of, uh, of this I mean, Baylor team. Obviously, I'm the same way. You, you kind of have a – more insight into my schedule as well, um, you know, with working, you know, a lot of some late nights and, you know, with Emma, of course. So um, didn't get to see nearly as much as I would want to or, or would like to. But what I did saw, I mean, that was that was a pretty special team. Um, definitely, you can't argue, definitely the best team in the country. 
based on what you saw in that national title game, that, that wasn't a fluke. That was a dominating team. No, and that was what uh, Stephen A. Smith was talking about, that uh, it probably the whole year Baylor should have been ranked number one. Exactly, and everyone forgets that, you know, Baylor was on, you know, they were undefeated for, you know, I I forget what game they lost their first game. But, I mean, they were, you know, they were riding high, and then they had COVID hit their team, and, you know, they set out for, I forget what it was, a week or so. And then, you know, they came back and that momentum was gone and they lost two of their next three games or something like that. And, you know, everyone, you know, obviously human nature is to be like, oh, what's wrong with Baylor? But, you know, Baylor was still Baylor. I mean, they were just finding, you know, their 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 feet again. Um, and, you know, they proved it once they did find it. And, you know, the tournament started. Um, no one could touch them, obviously. Yeah, well, if you go back and look, they yeah. had a loss in Fog Allen to Kansas. Who doesn't lose that game? And they lost a, uh, a Big 12 tourney game that sometimes great teams don't mm-hmm. care about the conference tournament when they have bigger things to look for. So, I mean, we should have known all along. And, I, and Frank, and I, I, I don't know if you – I think I can't remember if you said you filled out a bracket or not. I think you said you didn't. I didn't either. But, quite honestly, I would have put Baylor in the Final Four, and that's not – you know, saying that in hindsight, that it's not at all a surprise to me. The surprise to me was how poorly Gonzaga yeah, ran Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought they would be able to – I thought Kispert and Suggs would be able to move that ball around a lot better than what they did and, you know, create more good looks for, you know, not just for themselves but for, for, for Timmy as well. And, you know, it just didn't happen. It didn't happen from the opening tip. They just didn't have any answers. And, you know, I think Mark Few was surprised just – I mean <laughs> – I hate to say that Mark Few was surprised. I mean, he's a great coach, and obviously he knows who he's going against. Um, he's probably scouted these players, you know, for quite a while now, knowing that there's a good chance they were going to play Baylor at some point. Um, but I think he's probably taken aback by just how good they were live and in person. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and Few, Few was surprised because he went to that zone on the defensive side uh, pretty early in the game when they clearly had mm-hmm. no 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 answer at all with their man to man defense, he tried something different. But I knew when he went yep. out of away from what they've been doing all season, they were in trouble. That was a surefire sign. I mean, you like it when coaches can make adjustments. The only time I can ever remember like a panic move like that by a coach paying off in <laughs> massive ways was when Saban turned to Tua in the national championship game against us. Because that was the kind of move I, I honestly did. thought that game was over when he benched Jalen Hurts. And that game was only getting started. So only Nick Saban can do something like that. But I knew when few went away from what they normally do. Yeah, a cry for help. That wasn't an adjustment <laughs> as much as that was desperation. Right. I want to get back to something real quick, though, before we go on this. Do you think that diminishes that Gonzaga-UCLA yeah. game in any way because they didn't finish off the perfect season? Because I honestly think if they had, I, I think so, and I think the the, the egg laying that you know, and I don't want to say more of it. It was an egg laying more than it was Baylor just playing just out of their minds and just. But the fact is that you know Gonzaga got they got whooped in that national title game, so it does take just just the slight the slightest shine off that semifinal game. But yeah. in my opinion, just not that much, just because of, like I mentioned before, just how well it was played from beginning to literally the final buzzer. Well, 
well, as a, uh, when I was doing sports columns for years, I used to put together a games of the year list that you helped me out with every now and then. And I would, we would be hard pressed the remainder of 2021 to find any game that will be played that was better than what we saw that night. I believe that will end up being the game of this year. And if it's yeah, not, I'll be say, glad. I will be absolutely floored if we see anything that even right that even makes you think about whether you want to put that at one or number two. But if we get something that could potentially, you know, have an argument or have a conversation on this podcast, then absolutely, I'm all for it. Yeah, that was that was the best yeah, sporting absolutely. event I've Hands seen down. since the pandemic, in my opinion. And that was without having a full crowd in there. Everything. I can't oh my god! I mean, they might have broken the uh, the indoor you know, decibel record people. for uh for for crowd noise. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would have. I would have been going nuts. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, I could care less, and I I pretty much was going nuts on my couch. I mean, like I. I I think I uh, told you when when that buzzer beater went in, yeah. I, I woke up Emma, and I'm pretty sure I heard her uh, on the on the baby monitor that we had downstairs. I <laughs> know, uh, right? <laughs> her first word is going to be Jalen. Oh god. No, I uh, yeah, I did a yeah. victory lap around the room, and I didn't even care that Gonzaga won. It was just that was that was as exciting as it was, and I almost. Uh, I, I was. I think LeBron James said he knew too, but I did too. As soon as as soon as nobody yeah, picked like, up, oh, oh man, I was just hoping. I, I didn't want it to end. I wanted to see another overtime. So I was, <laughs> I was like, someone please just stop the ball. Yeah, please. I did too, actually. And then it just didn't happen. I'm like, oh man, this is gonna have a chance. And sure enough, he was so legendarily cool, though. He just kept yeah. on going and jumped up on the table like yeah. the way. I mean, he talked about wanting to have that D Wade Kobe moment, and you know, he he came through. Um, It's it's special, special all around. Yeah, that was that's one that I uh, that one and Chris Jenkins, I'll remember for a long time that I've missed out being there for that. But uh, I don't know if I'd put that one above ending the national championship like the Nova one, but. Like start to finish that game when I texted you and said that was the greatest game I've ever seen, I was not kidding. That was yeah. That no, I, I agree. I'm still like I said, I'm still getting over what I what I saw. I still think about it. I, I still watch some replays of the game and just some of the shot making and some of the crucial plays that you know swung the game. It's just it, it's crazy. I mean, it literally had everything. Yeah, I have it on the DVR. I figure I'll pop it out in yeah, July or August while. or something. When I get bored, I'll watch it again. Um, you uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the Jamal Murray yeah. injury. Yeah, I, I mean, I still am, and the only reason I even want to bring it up is just the the ramifications in the West, and not just the West, but just for the entire NBA, because. The way the Nuggets were rolling, I mean, you you said it in our last podcast, um, Jokic as the MVP, he's just risen to a whole nother level and, um, and maybe not risen to a whole nother level, but with Embiid being down for a little while with his injury and, you know, Durant being injured and LeBron being injured, I think it's pretty obvious that Jokic is the MVP this year. Um, I don't think you can cast a vote any other way. And the way he was playing and the way – you know, Jamal he ha- having a career season and what we saw in the bubble last year in the playoffs. And then, you know, getting the reinforcements with Aaron Gordon. I mean, that, that team was something to be reckoned with. And 
to be robbed of that. I mean, it is, it, it is a damn shame to put quite mildly. Um, that, that was potentially something special was brewing. And I'm not even, I didn't even mention M- Michael Porter, who's poured in what 20 points, like 10 of his last 11 games. I mean, Michael Porter, Michael Porter has arrived. I mean, it's not, is he mm-hmm. coming? It, he's here. Now it's just a matter of, can he stay healthy? Um, so, I mean, there was something potentially special there and now everyone knows, I mean, no one's going to say it in Denver, but you know, championship hopes are dashed this year. I mean, it just, it, it is what it is, unfortunately. So now it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to potentially come out of the West in place of them. And, you know, that opens up the door for the Lakers again. Um, AD's on his way back. They said he, he could be back any day now. Um, we know LeBron will be back. I mean, he's LeBron and he's going to show up and um, we got a, pretty big scare today i don't know if you saw donovan mitchell go down yeah uh i read that he had to have an mri yeah i didn't see it either but i heard the uh, the x-rays were negative they were optimistic he was going to be okay um obviously he's going to get an mri um but yeah uh, hopefully he comes back because not having jamal murray or donovan mitchell for this upcoming western conference playoffs would just be just be on just sad. I mean, we've got so many teams playing at such a high level right now. Portland's playing incredible basketball right now. Damian Lillard is back in the MVP uh, right. I mean, I don't want to say he's in the race, but people are mentioning his name just out of respect for Damian Lillard and just how great he's been the past few years. And now he's taking his game up a whole new level this year, I think. Um, but it's, it's Jokic's uh, award this year for sure. And, you know, it's just been so much fun to watch the West and for a team to just be taken out of it in one fell swoop with Jamal Murray. It's just – it's sad to watch. And you just hope he comes back 100% next year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Guys guys get hurt and miss the playoffs a lot. I think modern medicine, he'll get over the ACL tear. He kind of has – a that old man game anyway mm-hmm. where he kind of gets to his spot and he can shoot fadeaways and stuff. I don't think it's going to hurt him too much. But you're going to miss, because of how late in the season it happened and the fact that you're going to have a shortened offseason mm-hmm. again, he probably ain't coming back till late next year. So that's going to hurt him seeding-wise anyway. I'm sure they'll get in the playoffs anyway. But, I mean, what mm-hmm. are they, they might be like a yeah, six seed Yeah, I think 6-7 is probably a, a fair uh, estimate. Does he have – well, and we'll see what happens offseason and all that. But does – you know, will he have enough time to shake the rust off to be ready for May? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So so you may end up losing two years out of it. And that, that to me, is probably the hardest thing about it other than just seeing a 24-year-old get hurt like that. But he's also one of my favorite yeah, players. Yeah, exactly. That, that jinxes everybody. But, but I mean, I, that was probably the team I was rooting for the most this year. Because I like the the continuity they've had mm-hmm. building it up, man. They were so close last year, so I, I'm a little bit disappointed for that reason. I'll probably turn my attention to the Jazz. That'll be who I root for now. And Donovan Mitchell gets hurt immediately when I turn my attention to it the Jazz. He probably should. So I mean, I should it's just an inevitability, right? <laughs> I I hope not. I I hope Donovan's fine, and I'm completely on board with you. I'm I'm all about the Jazz right now. I, I want to see. Donovan and, and Rudy and and Mike Conley in, in particular, um, you know, get this team over the hump and, you know, get get them in the in the NBA finals. Um, whether that happens or not, I don't know. I mean, Phoenix right now, it, every team that Chris Paul goes to is just 
he's such a transformative player. He, you know, adds 10, 15 wins to a team. You know, the first season he goes to every new team. It's just incredible. Um. <laughs> do, it in your, do it in your Barkley voice. He's the best leader That's in the not NBA. Bad. <laughs> Except yes. he's worn out his welcome in yes. three different places. But Yeah, but there's a big – But, but – you're right. Everywhere so, he goes, I mean, it's just—it's pretty special to watch what win. he's done in Phoenix already. I mean, that team is just blossoming before our eyes. I mean, hell, they're even knocking on the door of the one seed. I mean, if you told me the Phoenix Suns would be the one seed this year, I mean, I, I get it—they went undefeated in the bubble, eight zero. But you know, that's one—that's one thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's one. Being the one seed. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's, let's not even compare that. I mean, yeah, that was a great story and all, and. Devin Booker just played, you know, MVP caliber basketball for those eight games. But, um, you know, over a 70-whatever game season they're doing, um, to potentially, you know, be knocking on the door for number one seed, that's just an unbelievable testament to what Chris Paul brings uh, to the team. And they'll be fun to watch. I mean, there's so many teams that will be fun to watch out west. I mean, I already mentioned Portland, um, Phoenix, the Lakers, obviously. I mean, once everyone comes back. Um, even Denver, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to put them in the NBA finals anymore, but I mean, they're still a very good and competitive team, but, um, you know, Jamal Murray is obviously, you know, the heartbeat of that team. I mean, you know, half of the heartbeat, obviously, I think Jokic is, um, pretty equivalent to what they provide on a daily basis, but you got to have both of those players at hundred percent in order to compete with, you know, this juggernaut of the Lakers and, the Jazz and, you know, the Clippers out West. Yeah, I don't think that they can win a second-round series without uh, Jamal Murray. I'm not even sure they can win a first-round series because the West is so stacked. But I'm I'm a little bit interested – and this may be wishful thinking, but I've always wondered what – And we're going to find out. He got 35 minutes. Yeah, I mean, scary Terry Rozier got the Celtics for one game away from the uh, finals and got a massive it, contract. It might. I, and I, I mean, I think there's a decent chance. I mean, I think he, he could be that good, and I think he's going to show just how, how good he can be. Um, you know, if, that'd be gr- it'd be a great story for sure if he could put this team, you know, on his, I mean, on his back per se. They're not going to ask him to do what um, what Jamal Murray does on a, on a nightly basis, but – um, to even fill half the shoes um, that Jamal has been, you know, filling the past, you know, two years, um, be a pretty, pretty cool, pretty special story. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I hate to count them out, but you know, I, it, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully we just when we get a Jazz Thunder uh, conference finals. How cool would that be? Or Jazz Nuggets, yeah, Thunder. Whoops, I don't know what, what year Nuggets, I'm living man. in, but yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I mean, you just never know these days, home. right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're gonna get the we're gonna get at least one of the LA teams. I don't know which one we're getting, but somebody's gonna be. If if they're not both in the conference finals, one of them will be. And I hope we get Utah or Phoenix. <laughs> uh, I'm not. <laughs> the league doesn't. I was about to say, do you think there's any way in hell we're gonna get either of those happen. teams? <laughs> 
Yeah, I think it's possible. It'd be like the year the Hawks won 60 and got there and yeah. then they ran into LeBron. That's what yeah. I think is going to happen to Utah. I think I think they're going to win. They're going to win the equivalent of 60 in the shortened season. They're going to they're going to fight like hell and sneak <laughs> their way into the conference finals yeah. and then No, I I, I completely see it. I mean, them. I can I can envision it right now. I really can. But Donovan Mitchell is serious, and they have a great nine-man rotation that works right now. The key is going to be they they can't have mm-hmm. any. I mean, they can't have any of those guys out. They have to have the exact same rotation every night, and they have in the regular season. That's why they're mm-hmm. having such a great year because nobody's missed any time. But they can't have their every single piece is essential for them. If they lose, if Royce O'Neal mm-hmm. or Derek Favors yep, it- goes down, they're going to be screwed. So they need they need everybody, and if they have all hands on deck, I think they can play with either one of the LA teams. I'm still uh, can't figure out the Clippers. I mean, you knew I picked them going into the bubble last year. I thought they were going to win the championship, and I'm wondering what's different about them. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I, I think I, really I think you're them. right. They're they, I mean they're the West's biggest enigma. They might be the entire uh, you know NBA's biggest enigma. I mean, I think they're on a roll right now. I think they have they've won eight straight. So they're, they're they're uh, they're starting to uh, you know yeah, turn it on you know kick it into high gear whatever whatever phrase you want to use but um, I have no idea what to expect I mean are we gonna have a first round knockout are we gonna is Paul George gonna disappear for for three straight games or, or are they just gonna go on a run and just you know just wipe everybody off the face of the earth I mean because they're that good as well when they're playing well. I don't know. And Paul George, uh, while I don't like much about him away from the court, he's probably one mm-hmm. of my three or four favorite players to watch play basketball. And his disappearances in the playoffs are completely and totally inexplicable. So I don't have any answer to that either. If he's playing like he's playing right now, they may win the championship. But we have not seen that from him. Uh, people keep saying he played the, the, when he was in Indiana, he was challenging mm-hmm. LeBron and all that. They had a great five-man unit. No, He didn't play like LeBron no, he- back then either. And we're, there's some revisionist history of what we think Paul George did in Indiana, and he wasn't great in the playoffs then either. He hit one or two big shots in that Heat series, but uh, he's never played with consistency in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I he think he understands that that pressure all. is on him, and, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, I, I mean, by no, now I feel like he must, you know, the way they bowed out last season. I mean – I mean, this is the same guy who got burned <laughs> yeah, by Damian Lillard. One of the most ridiculous so comments lucky. I've. <laughs> he had to even backtrack on that one recently after after the All Star yeah, game exactly. when Dame pulled up from half court for the win. No, he said, Maybe "Yeah, he sized him up and he, he did that he little dribble, uh, that little hard dribble to the right." And I mean, that's what he does. I mean, there's nothing lucky about any shots that Damian Lillard puts up. <laughs> No, I mean everything he does just makes no sense to me, yeah. and I want to like him because I think. But Danny makes it hard. Part, but um, <laughs> he does make it hard. He makes it hard yeah. to root for them too because of the way that team mm-hmm. was put together. But I love watching them play. So there's a little contrast to that, I guess. But yeah, like you said, the Utah is probably the the the. the, the most rootable team because of Conley and the way they've kind of slowly built it. And that's why I like the Nuggets too. But it, man, with AD and LeBron come back healthy, 
I, I thought they were going to be like the Dodgers of the NBA at the start of the yeah, season. If they're, if they're I just don't know what's changed. Yeah, I was healthy. about to say. I mean, let's not, let's not forget Drummond. that this, all this time off for, for these two stars. Now Drummond's there. Uh, Kyle Kuzma has, you know, I mean, I think we know what we get out of Kyle by now. But, I mean, now he's getting more run. And now he's had a little bit more of the, uh, the team on his shoulders. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know what. Well, I guess that's college. what I mean by you know what you get is because he's so he's so Jekyll and Hyde that yeah. I mean you really can't expect anything, and that's what you can expect if that makes any sense. Yeah, he did. So, yeah. so yeah, maybe this this t- this extra time um, has you know helped him out some, and you know he may be different in the playoffs and maybe provide something that we're not expecting, such as consistency. <laughs> So, um, I mean, who knows? But, I mean, yeah, if they're, if they're back healthy, you know, I, I'm still picking the Lakers to get through the West. But um, there's so many teams playing well right now, um, you know, Nuggets included, that, you know, it, it really is anybody's ball game. But uh, we'll see. I, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, it's more wide open than it has been. You don't, I mean, we don't have to make a pick right now because I want to see – I want to see AD's mm-hmm. – uh, yeah, I want to see his Achilles. That's a dangerous situation. And LeBron, because of his age, I want to see him too. Because, I mean, you could, I mean, yeah. you could break I mean, this down. This is probably the most extended break back. LeBron has had in yeah, how long? <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, others, this, uh, yeah, know, he just doesn't sit out this many games. Too. I mean, and there's no telling how many more he's going to sit out. I mean, uh, obviously, they're still hanging in there. They're still, I think, the, the six, the, the five. Yeah, no, no. I, I honestly, I thought they would drop the seven. I, I know I said eight. I was kind of just goofing around, but I really thought they would be the seven seed by now. Um, I, I thought the Blazers <laughs> were Blazers would overtake them, and I thought the the Mavericks could possibly overtake them. Um, but no, they they've held court pretty well. So um, you know, they've done what they've had to do to uh, weather the storm, so to say. No, absolutely so they're not. They're the one team that so, doesn't need home court. Um, it was just more about potentially avoiding that Nugget or Jazz matchup in round one that could, you know, scare the living hell out of anyone. Yeah, the the, the real shame of this season, if you're Utah or Phoenix, is that, um, you know, the, the – uh, whatever, the Vivint Center, whatever they call oh my that God, place, man. Salt Lake, <laughs> that place would be going nuts right now if it's – if this Jazz team was playing in front of fans, and then in Phoenix, having not made the playoffs in eleven years, they'd be drawing some serious <laughs> crowds to uh, yeah. Talking Stick Resort Arena or whatever they call it. Absolutely, that'll always be America West to me. But whatever. Um, but uh, which I saw the other day that that is like the fifth oldest arena in the league, and I'm old enough to remember when they moved out wow. of the uh, I can't Memorial believe that. Coliseum and into that place or whatever. So. Yeah, so that's pretty wild. But anyway, if those places actually had a home court advantage, they would have a yeah. way better chance against the Lakers. But I feel like Le- LeBron will play them like in uh, – LeBron will beat them in the Bahamas yeah. or something and dominate. Right. He don't care where they're playing. And it's not – especially if there's not any fans there. So, I mean, it's kind of a tough year to beat the <laughs> Lakers because you – You've managed to bury them in the standings, but yet you're yeah, really not. It, it's not fair. By, by it really is. Court. No, and that, I mean, 
I got, LeBron's legacy is going to be interesting if they won the Disney World Championship and now they win the Fanless Championship. I don't know. I mean, people always wonder what would have happened in Staples Center. Well, I mean, we'll probably get a Lakers yeah. Clippers series this year in a mm-hmm. half empty Staples Center. That'll be our luck. But, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's going to be a tough year to dethrone LA and Denver. I thought was yeah. the main no, they don't. Team that had the it's, chance, it's sad. But it they really don't is. now. Before we go, I want our weekly uh, power rankings in the <laughs> East that I can't seem to figure out. I Honestly, I had come to grips that Brooklyn was going to win, and then I see LaMarcus Aldridge retired out of nowhere. And now I'm, again, kind of waving, wavering. Yeah, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because, I, I mean, this it really is just ebb and flow. It's just ever-changing. I feel like you could put three teams up there, you know, that could potentially – maybe even four teams. I could – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Three teams that could. Be t- well, well, well. You say three, but then your Celtics just—I uh, watched uh, Tatum buried. The they Lakers did. They did. I—I I didn't want to jinx it. They're I wasn't—I wasn't even to mention the Celtics in this in this podcast because I was—I was on the—I uh, was drinking the Celtics Kool Aid for so long and. Th- but they're too good not yeah. to mention. Yeah, I mean, Miami is talk Miami about the scariest so- seven or eight seed you've ever seen. Yeah, I think I think their mm-hmm. goal is going to be getting the top six and avoid the play in. But I mean, the way it's probably going yeah, to take absolutely. Out for I mean, drop they just six. exactly. It's sad. I mean, it's great the way they played, but I mean, this this isn't sustainable. I mean, I mean, it just isn't. I mean, we got to get DeAndre Hunter, and in particular, um, has got to get back, and John Collins has to get back. I mean, those are the two. Don Collins. Um, who knows if we'll ever have Cam Reddish or Chris Nunn this year. And, uh, you know, Trey set out a couple of games with that calf injury, I think. I think he came back the other night. Uh, yeah, he probably should probably take a few more games so off might then. as well stay um, out. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think Reddish, Reddish may have come back to practice. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I heard you. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, obviously me? we need all these guys to be back in order to even have a puncher's chance in the first round, no matter who we play, um, especially if we play somebody like Boston in the first round. I mean, God forbid. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't beat that team. I'm out. I, if we were, if we were the three seed. Uh, and my, like you said, Miami fell to seven, mm-hmm. and we drew one of those other teams. I think we'd win a series. Or, or I'm not sorry, we won't be the three. That's Milwaukee. I'm sorry if we were the four seed, and Boston and Miami weren't the five. It was like Charlotte or New York. Yeah, but we're not beating Miami or then Boston in a, in a series. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Although I think Atlanta's got. Uh, one of the deepest teams in the league. If we didn't, we wouldn't be able to miss half the team each night. Yeah, and keep I mean, seven guys I mean, good old Lou. I mean, he's he's played well a few games since coming over. And uh, forgive me, uh, how do you uh, – Aguanku? Uh, yeah, from USC. I mean, he's uh, – The guy from USC. The guy from US. Well, I probably should have said that because I probably USC. just murdered his no name. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's definitely showing promise already in year one. Um so yeah, yeah, Bogdan he, he can't miss right Bogdan's now. I mean, he's got had, hot. Yeah, I think he's had eight threes in a couple of games already. Yeah, yeah, Gallo's playing well too. They uh, 
the the key is going to be if Nate can figure out a rotation once he gets his action. That's what I'm going to say. That's what I was going to say. I, I mean, I don't know if you put right a now. quarterback on the bench. Uh, I mean, he, he's picked it up too. I mean, he's had to. Everyone's had to pick it up. I mean, that's the reason we're above 500 right now is everyone's kind of taking it upon themselves to get to a new level. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how you slide in Hoarder and Reddish and and Hunter and and, and Gallo. I mean, it's it's a log jam. Yeah, who's the uh, Adam? Uh, I can't remember his last name. The guy's the oh, studio uh, host for TNC Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, the guy Shaq Shaq always makes fun of him. But he uh, he called. I didn't know this was a thing. He called Kevin Herter <laughs> red velvet the other night. That should highlight. stick. That's fantastic. Oh, that one might stick. D Way said, "Is that what they call him?" And he said, "Yeah, I think so." He goes, "I like it." That's I've never heard that, but yes, it should stick. That's what I'm calling him from now on. Yeah, red velvet yeah, for the win. Yeah. Just go ahead with red velvet. Then they had a debate on who likes red velvet yeah. cake and who doesn't. So it kind of yeah, really like highlight, it. but still, I like it. Um, well. We 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 have gone a hundred. This is by far our our longest one. I think we've. Well, no, I think we had. Did we really? No, we went two hours on one of them, close to it. Yeah, the one the one after we hadn't talked a month, and I had COVID. That's fair. It's a lot to catch up on, but I mean, like two hours. We had a pretty good amount to catch up on today too. We haven't done this what three four weeks now. Uh, three. I think since before the. Before the final four, maybe it was just maybe. two. We just missed the final. I don't know. The, the time is running together a little bit, but anyway. Well, do you have any final parting? <laughs> I don't uh, think so. I think I've let everyone hear my voice for long enough. Um, if if you're out there, yeah, if you're out there, Chris Bland, yeah, Nate Craitman, Kevin Dibbling, uh, thanks for continuing to listen to us jabber on for an hour and a half. Uh, no, I'm just saying if you they're tripled out there. our listenership. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll get Nate. Uh, I don't know about Kevin. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure Kevin has any interest in hearing us talk about uh, basketball or baseball. <laughs> nah, he probably would. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It'd kind of be like a kind of a passive thing. Nate yeah. would too. Nate, Nate yeah. would put the headphones. But on I could feel Chris actually like sitting there listening, actually like taking in what we're saying and actually telling us, hey, I really enjoyed that segment you guys yeah. did on the Final Four. <laughs> it would be yeah. more fun. I hope you tell us he didn't. <laughs> we got to get him on one day. I told him we did. Oh, uh, yeah. We can, we'll, we'll take any listeners we Absolutely. can get at this point. They can all be on air with us. We don't care. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else going on soon. You see they moved the uh, – Move the French. I, I did. Back I'm, I'm not exactly sure the reasoning behind it. I mean, I, I know it's COVID. Everything's COVID these days, but <laughs> yeah. So it's a silly thing to say that I don't <laughs> know what's going on. But I mean, I don't understand what a week does. But you know, whatever. I just wanted to mention that I read on the internet today that Daniel Evans beat Novak Djokovic. He said that he was inspired because Novak <laughs> showed up late for the match. I saw that he beat him. him. I didn't know that he said Did that. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, apparently he said Novak 
know that clearly I mean, didn't probably, respect his, his opponent. It's probably true. He probably didn't respect him. extra motivation. <laughs> no, I'm sure he didn't. He had no yeah, real exactly. reason to respect so, anybody. You know, there's there's definitely right some truth now. behind that. Yeah. Oh, you, no. Uh, I mean, not even, not even not even a – no. <laughs> I can't even give you an explanation. I hadn't either until – until oh, the Canucks yeah. came down with the Brazilian variant. So I started looking into the standings yeah. after that. And it's the same teams that are always yeah, there. Figures. Well, one of these days, the one of these days, so. I'm going to get back and try to learn, you know, more than five names or three names. Well, I think that they're, uh, uh-huh. they're just playing those like 18 pods. So I'm not sure that the uh, – like, let's say the Lightning, for example. I'm not sure they're still the best team, but they're the gotcha. best team in the group that they're playing over and over again. So we're going to – we'll find out come playoff time who the actual best teams are. But the Caps and the Lightning and uh, the Bruins and all mm-hmm. the usual the, – the Maple Leafs are good again. It's like, you know, the usual teams good. are all – the Blackhawks any good again? In the mix again. Oh. Okay. Uh, I don't recall, so that's probably a no. I don't. I was mostly trying to, you know, I, the Canucks thing kind of scared yeah. me because it sounded like their whole team was in jeopardy. They still haven't played yet since they came back, but I think they're. I don't think anybody ever got really, really sick. But I just thought the yeah. NHL season. Yeah, anytime you start throwing in variants, that, I mean, so. it gets a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially I can't that wait for this Brazil. to be over, man. Just if anyone's listening, right, uh, just get vaccinated, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The the sooner the better. Yeah. I, I think that I'm uh, I'm going yeah, on too much strong yet, but... now, and I'm around people obviously all the time, and they, it, it's worked so far. Uh, well, indoors, yes. Up? Outdoors, um, we're not requiring it for any of our uh, our city events. Uh, for the most part, yes. Um, if I'm if I'm close enough to a lot of people, I will. But mm. if I can keep my distance, I generally take it off. Yeah. See, I'm not I'm not in any way, shape, or form an anti-masker in the like mm-hmm. sense that it's affecting my freedom and anything. But my lord, wearing those things when they're hot as hell and it's the one of the most like ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's it's awful. And then I hear my. Uh, Hillary's parents talking about that we should be double masking and I and I don't have the heart to tell them that I'm <laughs> we probably, yeah, we yeah probably I don't have the heart to tell them I'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no nah, one is terrible I've been I've been looking at some vacations and stuff and like all these companies are requiring full-time mask and any i'm like yeah, oh it's, my it's, Lord. I don't know. Maybe it's, I just it's the fatigue home. is getting real man i mean it is getting it's it's a whole different level it really is i i, I hit a year now i'm just saying i, I hit the one year mark and Go ahead. i'm starting to lose it yeah people around here just aren't adhering to any of that anymore they're just not doing it so i'm not real i mean i'm doing it around a bunch of people in crowds but i'm not wearing it in the office and stuff uh, but I do want to get vaccinated yeah. soon because I don't yeah, want to run into it's, the Brazilian variant. So yeah, I hear it helps. I mean, help, what limited know. research there is out there. I mean, obviously we're we're learning day by day, but 
Um, I hope it, I mean, the main thing is that it keeps you from getting severely ill, which I guess is the real game changer. It is, but I, I can't, I don't know if I had this conversation with you, but I've had it with a few people. Like some of these companies are going to have to start giving more oh. sick time if you have to quarantine because it's just not feasible to be gone from work for two weeks. I mean, you don't get, I don't get two weeks. Well, I guess I do. I get exactly two weeks of sick time per year. So if you tell me I have to quarantine for 10 days and that happens to, you know, that's like eight of my 10 days to be sick. I mean, what's yeah, going to happen if I actually get the exa- flu or something else and need those Exactly. Days? And, and the funny thing is, now you bring that up, the, um, the city of Mount Dora, um, they granted that time when the, pan- when the pandemic first started. If you had to quarantine for any reason, you got two weeks, you got two weeks of pay. <laughs> we but we still are. My, my point is, they took yeah, it away recently. Are. So if you have to court, yeah, okay, yes, yeah. Well, well good for you guys because yeah, if I have to quarantine for whatever reason, luckily I'm a salary employee and I can work from home and find things to do. But any hourly employee, if they you know have to quarantine for any reason, you know they just don't get paid. So it's 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 crazy. Right. I, I don't know why we took it away. I mean, I I don't know what kind of you know tax breaks and whatnot we were getting for for doing it and i don't know what happens now that we're not doing it but you know it's just it's bizarre <laughs> well that's interesting because i thought that was a federal mandate it, it was at the beginning it was at the beginning but, and then something uh, changed and then okay. it was just optional and I, I think companies and businesses that were still doing it were giving some kind of breaks and then okay. at some you know date some hard deadline date you didn't have to offer it anymore so All right, I don't want anyone from Monroe County to hear this podcast thing. Yeah. I don't want them to know. I know, that's right? We'll, we'll, we'll just do that off, off the table. But, but no, we've been doing that. We've been doing that too. But I mean, it's almost as if these companies are going to, if, because, because you're saying what you're saying is true. It's the, the, the point of the vaccine is will not eradicate it, it will keep you from getting really exactly. sick. Exactly. And that's where, that's where it doesn't make any sense. You're right. There yeah. has to be some kind of, some maneuvering to, to, bring those two things in line <laughs> if, if every year i'm gonna end up getting covid i'm just not gonna die from it that don't change that i have to have sick time a mask to even be able to deal with it yeah, you're never gonna just, mask it's... any if you get it all the time so financially it really is i mean especially in you know environments where you I mean you can't you can't not be around you know hundreds of people i mean some people are around people every day and I mean, not everyone works in an right. office, you know, just with one person within 10 feet of them. So, it's, yeah, no, and I've got one person in my office, like but luckily he's been vaccinated. So, I mean, we don't really care about the mask thing too much when we're in the office together. No, I mean, I, I don't know. I try. I tried really hard. I got pretty frustrated when I'd gone a year without going out with friends <laughs> and stuff, and then I still got it. And I don't even really know how I got it. I mean, I just, I got it at work. I guess I do know that Mm -hmm. three or four of us got it at the same time, but it was just kind of a fluke thing. And no point was I ever around those Mm -hmm. people without a mask for any length of time. And yet I still got it. So clearly my mask is probably ineffective (laughs) and it never was probably (laughs) effective because I don't have an N95 mask. I don't have it. I mean, I'm just wearing some cloth over my face. And you're not double and triple masking, Richard. But, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, and 
I just don't know how in Macon, Georgia, or Mount Dora, Florida, this you, you can't. Mass. I mean, you can't and, and not, not die. Proud. Let's put it that way. I have a hard time breathing yeah. with the thing on. Like I start coughing worse. <laughs> People start exactly. looking at me because I'm coughing because the mask is on. And then you're just a leper to everybody. <laughs> Right, and then people think you've got COVID and you're aware. But I mean, it's uh this whole thing, like you said, is just crazy. Not only is it ruining sports, <laughs> it really it's ruining our day to day lives, and that's not even talking about the five yeah. plus thousand people that have died from yeah. this. I mean, it's just it's sad and pathetic and whatever else. And I hope we never. If this is a once a century yeah. thing, yeah. I hope God, we're dead before it happens again. Yeah, All yeah, right. no, that's right. a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> we could talk about that privately. I'm sure nobody would yeah, listen to this. Yeah, I probably, should have, us, but I, I probably should have clicked anyway, the finish recording no, button 10 no. minutes ago. Yeah, that's all right. We're just expressing yeah, the exactly. same frustration everybody else is, but you just, I think we were all. We were all talking about last summer, like let's you know let's this will be over soon, and here we are. Yeah, this yeah, summer, this summer's this summer's just gonna be a wash there. already. I mean, you can, I mean, you can see it already. I mean, there's no doubt. Every every morning on the way to work, the guy uh, Jimmy Carter, that's like their cor- correspondent from Nashville of the country music station, he like he pipes in and like talks about everybody's tours that got moved <laughs> <laughs> since the night before. It's like. Every every day it's like Brad Paisley will not be on tour in twenty twenty one. I'm like, oh great, another year of no concerts, another year of we're gonna have another great NBA yeah. playoffs where there's no one in the stands. I mean, but maybe we'll have a World Series in a home park this year. That'll beat last year, but maybe nobody there. So you know, if you're ever gonna have a year to have exactly, yeah, it was meant to be, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's just annoying. All right, well, we'll talk yeah. again probably, what, two, three weeks? Yeah, so yeah, we'll, sounds good. We'll, we'll definitely do it. We'll, we'll aim for, you know, three weeks for sure, if if not before. All right, we'll yeah, recap the draft next time.